we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Well, let's look in 1 Samuel chapter number 31. We're continuing our study of the life of David, and um, we don't read uh, David's name in chapter number 31, uh, but we know that the events that unfold in chapter 31 uh, have great bearing and impact on the life of David, on the nation of Israel, and in particular here, the life of Saul. If you remember now, Saul is the king of Israel, and he has been rejected by the Lord because he rejected God's word. And uh, David was anointed by Samuel as king. As the Lord said to Samuel, I'm looking, I'm seeking for a man after my own heart. And uh, as you know, David fought the giant in 1 Samuel 17, defeating him. And uh, not long thereafter, Saul uh, began to grow jealous, envious of David, and has been seeking to kill him. And now we come to chapter number 31, and it is the final day of the life of Saul. A sad conclusion to such a promising life. We come to verse number one. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons, and the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died and his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men that same day together. And when the men of Israel that were on the other side of the valley and they that were on the other side Jordan saw the men of Israel fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled, and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. And it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent it into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. And they put his armor in the house of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshen. And when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard of all that which the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshen and came to Jabesh and burnt them there. And they took the bones and buried them under a tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. I'd ask you to note, if you would please, in verse number 12, 
the statement we read, all the valiant men arose. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us in these moments as we gather around your word, as we come together in your presence, that you would speak to us through your word today. Have our attention. May we submit our will to you. May we obey your voice. And I pray that you would accomplish your purpose in our lives through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible said all the valiant men arose. Now, the events that we have been looking at together in recent weeks, the events that are recorded here in 1 Samuel chapter, well, really beginning in chapter 28 through 31, uh, record for us events that took place just within a few days. These events are unfolding simultaneously. The Philistines had come to set the battle in array. Saul, in his fear and in his anxiety, and in his desperation, having not heard from the Lord, Samuel the prophet is dead. Saul didn't regard much of what Samuel had to say before he died anyway. He couldn't seek after the priests. Remember, Saul had the priests put to death. And so now in his desperation, he goes to a woman, the Bible says, who had a familiar spirit. She, she had a spirit of divination, or at least she promoted herself to have such a spirit. There's no doubt she was demonically influenced, and yet when he went to her, she was able, although it wasn't her herself, she was able to see, not through her power, but she was able to see the prophet Samuel who appeared. Uh, we know this was not of her doing because when Samuel did appear and began to speak, she was afraid. She'd never seen anything like that before. But now Samuel has come, and he's speaking to Saul, and he's saying to Saul, uh, you are going to go into battle, and you're going to die, and tomorrow about this time you and your sons will be with me. While all of that is happening, David is being summoned by Achish, king of Gath, to go with him to the battle against Israel. As you remember the Philistines, the lords of the Philistines, they said, we don't want David going with us, and they sent him away. So David returned and went back to Ziklag. When he got to Ziklag, he found the city burned with fire. He found that his wives and children and the wives and children of the men and all of their livestock and all of their wealth had been carried away by the Amalekites. It was then that David learned to encourage himself and the Lord. And then he inquired of the Lord and he said, should I go after this troop? Should I pursue them? And the Lord said, yes, pursue them and you will overtake them. And without fail, you will recover all. And so David and his men embarked on this journey, seeking his wives and his children. Along the way, they found, if you remember the Egyptian man who was the slave of an Amalekite, who had grown sick and was left behind. And David and his men ministered to help this Egyptian man, and this Egyptian man told them where their wives and children were and who it was that had them and where it was they could be found. And so David and his men, they went and pursued, and they overtook this Amalekite group, and 
destroyed them and took their wives and children. They recovered all. And then we come to chapter number 31. Having found that David recovers all, we see that Saul loses all. As I said earlier, here is a man who began and held such promise, but now it's all gone. His life ends in a tragic scene on Mount Gilboa as the archers of the Philistines have found their mark and they have wounded Saul. Saul knows that he can't escape them, and it looks as if death is imminent. There's one fear in Saul's heart. He does not want to fall into the hand of the Philistines who would surely have tortured him and paraded him around. He didn't want that fate, so he said to his armor-bearer, fall upon me with your sword. But his armor-bearer, like his previous armor-bearer, you remember him, his name is David, who refused to touch the Lord's anointed. Well, this armor bearer said the same thing. He refused uh, to smite Saul. And so Saul fell on his own sword and he died. Not only did Saul die here, but his three sons died, Jonathan included. And then all the men of Saul, including his armor bearer. Afterwards, the Philistines came to Mount Gilboa, and they found the body of Saul and his sons, and they stripped all the soldiers of their armor and all their worldly possessions that they could find that would be of any use to them. They severed the head of Saul, and they sent his head and his armor into the land of the Philistines to put on display. They also sent his body there. They put his head in the house of Dagon, one of their gods. They put his armor in the house of Ashtaroth, who was the female goddess, a, supposedly a companion of Dagon. They impaled his body to a wall in Bethshan. They mutilated him and mocked him and shamed him and praised their gods. And then the Bible tells us in the midst of that, that when the men of Jabesh-Gilead heard that which the Philistines had done to Saul, that all the valiant men arose. Uh, we're living in a time that is not much unlike the time that we have been reading about here in 1 Samuel. And just as there was a need for valiant men in that day, there is a need for valiant men today. Wickedness is advancing it's making inroads into the church, into the lives of pastors and professing Christians. There seems to be a spirit of retreat among those who claim to know Christ as Savior. And the enemy is not content with their advances. In fact, what they seek to do is remove every vestige of biblical truth and practice. like the Philistine soldiers stripping the dead bodies of the men of Israel on Mount Gilboa, the enemies of God seek to strip the church of its glory and of its convictions. 
They want to parade through the streets of our nation with the corpses of their victims and the severed heads of its leaders. They praise their gods, and by the way, they have their gods. Make no mistake about it. They praise their gods, and they promote their practices. They occupy places that do not belong to them, but what once belonged to Christ. And in these critical hours, it's time for valiant men to arise. I wonder, where are the valiant men? The word valiant means to be strong. One who possesses the quality of valor is a brave person. He's a strong person. doesn't mean that he has to be physically strong, but it means that he is a man of conviction, a man of courage. It is one who has influence. This word valiant carries with it the basic idea of strength and influence. There was a day when the world was influenced by the church. In fact, our nation is here because of the influence of godly men and women. The laws of our land were shaped and formed by those who had influence because they knew the Lord as their Savior. But we've seen in these dark days in which we live, we've seen the influence of godly men begin to subside. We need men of courage and men of strength, men of conviction and men of influence. All the valiant men arose. The word arise here carries with it the idea of standing. We have to get up if we're going to stand. We have to hold our ground. This word in its definition also means to show honor and respect. We're living in a nation that has lost any, any thought of honor and respect. We're living in a culture that has lost these terms as well. You see, there was a need for valiant men to rise, and they did. Valiant men then rise when others fall. They fight when others flee, and they stand while others sit. May God help us in this church to have some valiant men, some valiant women who will stand. Sir, you need to stand for the Lord in your own heart, in your own life, against the advances of Satan. You need to stand for God in your home and in your marriage, for your home and for your marriage. It's time for valiant men to arise. In the church of the living God, may valiant men arise in the places in which we work, in the places where we shop. It is time for valiant men to rise the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 13 in verse number 11, and that knowing the time, I'm wondering, do you know the time? Do you see God has his own time? Are you aware of what's on the calendar? Are you aware of what time it is, spiritually speaking? What time it is in God's redemptive plan? He said, in knowing the time, by the way, the Bible says, in the last days, perilous times shall come. We're living in those times. He said, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. 
You see, it's comfortable in the bed, isn't it? <laughs> we love our comfort. But this is no time for us to find comfort. May God give us courage to stand. It's high time to awake out of sleep. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse number 14, when the enemies of God were coming against Nehemiah and the people of Israel to keep them from building the walls, they were threatening them. They were seeking to deceive them and employing all manner of tactics to stop them through intimidation from building the wall. And Nehemiah said this in Nehemiah 4 verse 14 to the people of God, be not ye afraid of them. You know, I think one of the chief tactics of the devil in this hour is fear. We see what's happening in our world, and it causes us to fear. Uh, through this pandemic situation that our world has been going through in our nation, it has smitten the hearts of people with fear. As we watch our society crumbling before us, we wonder what's going to happen. Our hearts are gripped with fear. But I want to encourage you to take heart because if you know the Lord is your Savior, you belong to him. And you have a, a better country. That's the city that God has prepared for us, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's a better country. Praise God for that better country. And do you know that nothing can separate us from the love of God? Nothing can separate us from the promises of God. Nothing can ever deter us and keep us from entering into that city if we know Jesus. And there's no harm that will ever come to us in that city. No sickness, no separation, no sorrow, no death, no destruction, no enemy. He said, be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Hey, understand this, he said to them. I know you have an imposing enemy. I know it seems that he has a lot of power and a lot of might, and I know it seems like he can do a lot of damage, but I want you to remember one thing. You know the Lord. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren. God's people need to fight, not other people. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. We're striving in a spiritual conflict. But we need to take a stand. And that's that, that, hey, let me tell you where the main battleground is. It's in our own lives. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight for your brethren. Fight for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives, and for your houses. It is time for the valiant men to arise. Well, we have a great example of those times here, and we'll note three things about them. Number one, I want you to see that the valiant men arose in time of defeat. They arose in time of defeat. It's easy to take your stand when everything seems to be going your way. But when adversity comes, when losses are suffered, when difficulty ensues, it is difficult to stand. But valiant men do so in the time of defeat. Now look, if you would, please, in verse number one. Now the Philistines fought against Israel 
Here's the fight. The Philistines, the adversaries of the people of Israel. Let me just say this to you. The battle will never end until we get to heaven. We are in a spiritual warfare. We are in a struggle. Our adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He is fighting against us. He fights with the temptations, uh, immorality, entertainment, technology, alcohol, drugs, love of money, envy, deceit, lies, strife, contention, division. Oh, we could name many, many more. But we see him advancing. We see him destroying lives through these tactics. The fight. And when the fight comes, we see the response to the men of Israel. Look in verse number one. And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. How many have become casualties to these things? Many. And so they fled. They had no stomach for the battle. They ran or they fell. We see the fall in, in verse 2. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, Saul's sons. What a dreadful thing for Saul's sons to fall there. Jonathan, of course, the friend of David. No doubt Saul's heart was filled with regret when he saw the bodies of his sons lying there on the mountain as they fled from the Philistines. They were fleeing up the mountain because the Philistines with their chariots would have had a more difficult time making it up the mountain. But the archers of the Philistines had arrows that could reach the mountain. And they began to employ those bows and arrows and shoot them, and they hit Saul. But before they hit Saul, they slew his sons. Do you know what led to their defeat? It was their disobedience. It was Saul's disobedience that led to his defeat. And when you and I choose not to listen to God, not to obey God, we can expect defeat. Finally, the archers found Saul, and they hit him in verse 3, and he was sore wounded of the archers. Well, this life brings a lot of wounds, does it not? It was a time of defeat, but that's when valiant men are needed. Saul, of course, was supposed to deliver the people of Israel from the Philistines. That's what the people expected. Remember what they said to Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 19. We will have a king over us. That's what they said to Samuel. No, no, we, we, we're tired of, you know, depending on you and depending on your prayers. Remember, they had just defeated the Philistines, and they implored Samuel, please don't stop praying for us. <laughs> and Samuel interceded, and God gave victory. But in the next chapter, here's what they're saying. Well, you know, we don't like it that way. We want to have an army. We want to have a king. We want to be like all the other nations, and we're going to have a king. Verse 20, 1 Samuel 8, that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us. We want him to make the decisions and go out before us 
and fight our battles. We want a king who will fight our battles. Well, wait a minute. Would you want a man to fight your battles or do you want God to fight your battles? They wanted a man. And so on Mount Gilboa, their man falls. The man of their own choosing. And what we found out about that man after he was anointed king, though he had a great beginning, eventually he refused to obey the Lord and he stopped fighting the Lord's battles and he start, started fighting his own battles. He was more concerned about his own kingdom than he was the Lord's kingdom. And finally, he, were, he heard these words from the prophet Samuel who said, Thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. So because of his, defeat, his, his uh, disobedience, rather, he was defeated. And as he was defeated, the nation was defeated. The second thing we see here is that the valiant men arose in time of death because not only do we read of the defeat of the nation of Israel, but we read of the death of their king. Notice in verse 4, Then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised, speaking of the Philistines, come and thrust me through and abuse me. You see, they were known for that. But his armor bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore, Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor, his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died. There's a finality to that word, is there not? It's over. All the promise, all the potential is unrealized. The nation lies in shambles. The soldiers are dead, and now the king is dead, and his three sons, and his armor bearer, and all his men that same day together. You see, when Saul died, so too died all the hopes of all the men who placed their trust in Saul. Why did Saul die? He died because of his sin. In 1 Chronicles chapter number 10, we have a record of this same story. In 1 Chronicles chapter 10 and verse number 13, the Bible gives us this added commentary. So Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord. You say, no, he died because the archers hit him. No, he didn't. He died because God brought judgment upon him. He said, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not. And also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it and inquired not of the Lord. Therefore, he slew him and turned the kingdom unto David, the son of Jesse. God said, he's going to die because of his sin. By the way, all of us are going to die because of our sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible tells me that because of my sin, that the wages of my sin is death. I'm glad to know that not only are there wages for my sin, but there is a gift if I will receive it from God 
that gives me life instead of death. It is appointed unto men once to die. The reason it says that only once is it is appointed unto us to die is that because of the curse of sin, all of us will physically die. But we do not have to experience what is called the second death, which is the judgment against sinners who reject the Lord Jesus and who go to an awful place called hell. That is the second death. I don't have to experience that second death, although I am going to experience, unless the Lord comes, the first death. I don't have to experience the second death because I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Saul is a king who died, and he died for his own transgressions. The Lord Jesus is a king who died, but he didn't die for his own transgressions. He died for mine and for yours. The Bible said the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Bible says that he was willing to drink that bitter cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He went to the cross of Calvary. He suffered our death and shame. He suffered uh, all of the impact of our eternal sufferings and all that we would have deserved on the cross of Calvary. He died and was placed in a tomb, and on the third day he rose again victorious over death and hell. And he offers life eternal life to all who will believe upon him, who will confess their sin and acknowledge that he's the Savior. The Lord Jesus will save you if you'll submit to him. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Are you willing to do that today? Maybe you're here and you've never been saved. It's appointed unto you to die, but if you die in the condition you're in, you're going to face the second death. But you can escape that because Jesus took on your death. If you'll come to him, he will save you. People are dying all around us. And we who know the Lord have the answer. We know the way of life. We can rescue the perishing. We can care for the dying. We can have compassion and, as Jude said, make a difference if we will simply arise. All the valiant men arose in a time of defeat. All the valiant men arose in a time of death. Let me give you a third thought this morning. All the valiant men arose in a time of disgrace. Notice, if you would, please, in verse 7. And when the men of Israel that were on the other side of the valley and they that were on the other side Jordan saw that the men of Israel fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. Here are the inhabitants of the nation of Israel. And they know perhaps there's a battle going on. Maybe they read it in the newspaper. Maybe they, maybe they heard it on the news. They know there's a battle going on. They're in the other valley, the next valley, and then those who are on the other side of Jordan who didn't come all the way across Jordan, they see the men of Israel fleeing. They see the soldiers running from the Philistines. And they said, this doesn't look good <laughs> because if the army is destroyed, if the king dies, then their hopes are gone. 
There's no security. There's no safety. There's no protection. And when they see what is happening, they lose hope and they lose heart. And the Bible said they forsook their cities and fled. I want to say this to you. We live in a day when many men are forsaking because of the enemy. They're forsaking their responsibilities. They flee the house of God. I'm not going to go to church. I don't need to get in the Bible. I don't need to be a man of prayer. They're fleeing their own homes. They're leaving their wives and children behind for the Philistines to destroy. It's a disgrace. What's happening in our nation, what's happening in our world is disgraceful. The Bible says the Philistines came and dwelt in them, came and dwelt in the cities that God had given them. I'm amazed at how quick people are to give over to the enemy that which God has given them. Oh, may God help us. Verse 8, and it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain. You see, they would come back to the battlefield and they would remove all the things off the dead bodies of those that had fallen, anything of value to them. And they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa, and they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent it into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. Can you imagine? They, their hearts were filled with glee. They found King Saul and his three sons. Oh, man, we, not only did we beat them, but now we got the king. So they stripped off his armor. They severed his head. And they sent his head and his body and his armor into the land of the Philistines with heralds, with people going, hey, come and see what our gods, the gods of the Philistines have done. We have defeated the gods of Israel. We have defeated the king of Israel. And the Bible tells us in First Chronicles chapter 10 that they took his head and they placed it in the house of Dagon. They took his armor and they placed it in the house of Ashtaroth, these two gods. And they took his body and they pierced his body up against a wall in Bethshen. And they promoted that news to all the people. said, come and look at the king. Come and look at what our gods have done. It was a disgrace. You know, we live in such an hour, don't we? As I said to you a moment ago, the enemies of God are not content with the inroads they have made until... They can silence all of us. That's their goal. That's the goal of the devil. They want to practice their immorality and wickedness. They want to do what they want to do. They want to remove any thought of God and God's word, and they'll move forward and fight until they, well, they'll never accomplish their goal, will they? No. But they think they will. Paul speaks to them in Romans chapter 1. If you'll remember in Romans chapter 1, the apostle Paul lays out the case why all the world is guilty before God. And he said basically that when they knew God, 
when God revealed himself to them, they received him not as God. And they walked in their foolish imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened, and, and they went into a downward spiral of immorality and disdain and contempt and wickedness and disgrace, disgraceful actions in their behavior. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God and that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. In other words, although they know that what they're doing is a sin against a holy God, they continue to do it. And, and in order for them to continue to do it, this is what they must do. They must silence the voice of God in their own conscience and in their own hearts and in this society. That's why they have such disdain and contempt for the church and for those who hold to the doctrines of the Scripture. And so in order to do that, they turn up the volume of their iniquity. They parade down our streets. They visit our schools and read books to our children, men who pretend to be women, and all sorts of forms of immorality and wickedness. And although in their hearts they know that what they're doing is a sin that will bring death to them, they rejoice in the fact that they're doing it. When the leaders of our nation stand before us to tell us that a baby that is killed, murdered in the womb, it's just part of a woman's reproductive rights. The term they like to use today is reproductive justice. They celebrate this. Women who talk of their past abortions are encouraged to talk of them and, and, and to come out, so to speak, and, and be proud of the fact that they've done so. Death is celebrated in the streets of our nation. It's a disgrace. But I'll tell you what's more disgraceful than that is what happens in the hearts of men and women who know the Lord and who give ground to the devil and who compromise and justify their sin and their iniquity and open the door for Satan to come in and lead their children astray. And we've all been guilty. All of us. Time for the valiant men to arise. Oh, I don't mean arise and pitch a fit, start screaming and fussing. No. I mean to arise and take responsibility. To arise with the Bible in hand. To arise and then to fall on our knees before a holy God. To arise and say, as Joshua said, as for me, 
my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the battle I'm talking about. Verse 11. And when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard of that which the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose. And it went all night. How'd they go? They went quietly. They went all night. And they took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan and came to Jabesh and burnt them there. And they took their bones and buried them under a tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. Why did they do that? Well, if you read 1 Samuel chapter number 11, you'll find out why. Because there was a time when the men of Jabesh were in trouble. The Ammonites were invading them, and they decided, hey, we're going to kill you. If you want to live, then we're going to maim your body, and you're going to become our servant. We're going to maim your body, and you're going to become our servant if you want to live. Well, it's amazing what people will do today, seemingly to live, right? And they were in trouble. They said, well, we'll answer you tomorrow. And so they called out to Saul, and Saul, the Bible said, was moved by the Spirit. The Spirit of God came upon him, and he he sent messengers throughout all of Israel, and he said to those men, you better get over here and help us. And he led an army, and they delivered Jabesh-Gilead from the Ammonites. And I want to tell you, the men of Jabesh-Gilead never forgot that. Hey, let me ask you a question. Have you forgot what God's done for you? The Bible said they arose, they went through the night, they, 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 they re- retrieved the body of Saul and his sons, and they brought them back. Now, those bodies had been displayed and maimed. You couldn't anoint those bodies for the burial. You could not bury them in the manner that they were accustomed to burying people. So they burnt their bodies just to burn the flesh off so that they could give their bones a proper burial, and that they did. You see, they were men who were willing to rise. They were men who remembered, and they were men who were honorable or reverent. May God help us. We need valiant men to arise. Hey, we need valiant women to arise. We need some valiant teenagers to arise. May God help us. All the valiant men arose. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you and thank you once again for listening.